Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. All right, here we go. Hey, everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now, let's step back into the ring and back into time, into the Great Smoky Mountains we go, where there ain't no hoss. Like the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's going on in the hills of Tennessee? Oh, man, just beautiful. Beautiful day today. It's just been glorious here, man. Uh, it just gets better and better, Dave. I don't understand it, man, how I can keep doing it. And uh, just 80-degree uh, uh, days and 65 at night, <laughs> no humidity. It's like, wow. No. Yeah, you know, Wait, I- I thought you were living the good life down in central Florida in the St. Pete area. And you, and you certainly were, but now it just seems like it just keeps getting better in the heart of Tennessee and the Knoxville area around the gray smoky mountains. You see a lot of beautiful sights. There's one thing I, I definitely saw this week on one of your Facebook pages and you had a shot of a rainbow that was absolutely incredible. And it looked like it just stayed there forever. Oh yeah, it it, it it came, it went, it came, it went. I mean, it was like it get really deep color, and then it would lose its color. And uh, uh, wow, it was a fanatic. It was just a phenomenal rainbow, and it was, and it went up into some big clouds at the very top of it. If you noticed that, yeah. And I had a guy on Facebook uh, that got in touch with me, and he says, "Ron, have you seen that face in that cloud?" <laughs> And I went back and looked at that cloud, and I was like, son of a gun. There is a face in that cloud. All right, i got to go back and check that out. Yeah, so that's at the top, and then you've (laughs) got that rainbow ending up in that valley down there, which is just gorgeous. You could actually see the end of the rainbow sinking into the forest. Sinking into the ground. Yes. Looked like it was on fire. Yeah, yeah. Crazy, so man. You, you're so fortunate, so blessed to be in such a beautiful area where you can just you can take a brief car ride and just have an amazing view of whatever the Smoky Mountains offer that day. So that, that's that, that spot, Dave, is five minutes from my house. Wow. Wow. That's so awesome. I just drive up on top of that mountain. It's just right there by where I am. And, uh, and uh, also there was that statue, uh, a Christ statue across there. I I, yeah, I saw that. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, sure did. that thing uh, looks small in the photo, but that's mm-hmm. 60 feet tall. Wow. That cross. Wow. And it was, I could tell it was pretty good d- distance away from where the camera was 
but you could, I could also kind of tell that, that I bet that thing's huge, huge if you were up close to it. So that's awesome that you have an opportunity just to get out and, and, and check it out as often as you can. I'm just really enjoying it, my man. Uh, and we got a great one today. I'm really looking forward to this one, Dave. I think fans are going to enjoy this one. All right. Uh, yeah. It's loaded. No, it's, it's got everything in it, man. Like the like it's been for the last uh, eight, ten stud casts. I mean, they're just all that cram was good stuff. Well, so, so I've heard as you were, we were preparing for the show together, and listen, today's stud cast, the the title is a little bit concerning, stud. I got to bring this up. The first part, mystery partner in Tennessee. That's okay, but the last part is like, wait, what? Ron's arrested in Alabama. And that's a little different, Ron. 44 years ago, almost to the week, you were arrested. So you've got a, a whole lot going on in every stud castle lately. There's no doubt about that. But this one this one shocked me a little bit. Well, man, uh, May the 9th, 1978, uh, it was a shocking day for me as well, Dave. I can tell you that. Uh, I was arrested and taken to jail for the first, <laughs> the one and only time in my life. Wow. Man. And then I've been saying for weeks now, you know, about how dangerous fans were in that southeastern Gulf Coast area for mm-hmm. eels. And in this episode, we're going to have our first major ride, man, since opening the territory. Ten weeks in, first night ever the town runs, we're going to have a ride. Wow. All right, so was was it in Dothan? That's one question I've got. And, and there, there, we know there have been a couple of problems there in the ten shows that you've run up to this point. So was Dothan involved? Well, you know, Dothan was a, it was kind of a crazy town as well. You know, fans <laughs> in that part of the country were just kind of, uh, wow, they were, they were wild. And, uh, but uh, no, no, it's not Dothan, man. Uh, you know, this was the southeastern <laughs> Gulf Coast city mm-hmm. that was running, like I said, for the very first time, its first event ever. And my father and I, we talked quite a bit back in those days because he was real curious about how well we were doing down there. It was a territory that he had originally built 24 years earlier in 1954. So he had, he felt like he had a little stake in what happened down there. And uh, he knew I was a heel and he told me to be very careful. He said, in one city in particular, you gotta be careful. You gotta watch your back. He said, uh, because uh, that city had more riots when he was there than any other city in that part of the country. Wow. All right. What, what city are you talking about? Well, now, Dave, you know I am, man. Oh, come on. We're, we're, only, we're only a couple of minutes into the stud cast Oh, here, come man. on, stud. Oh, come on. And you, and you can't wait to hear the most dangerous part of this one, man. Uh, telling that story right now would be like uh, get, doing the finish of a match when the bell rang. Well, I got no problem with that. So, so we're going to get it in today, but but there's going to be a lot of other things going on in this one today, man. So and we got to get to we got to get to all of it. So I tell you what, Dave, uh, just to just to make you somewhat happy, man, we're going to do something different on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We've been opening up every this every week with southeastern Gulf Coast uh, territory in the latter part of the show. Mm-hmm. We open it up with Knoxville, right, right, and then we go to southeastern. Uh, so uh, just to make you happy, man, and get to that arrest sooner than later. <laughs> okay. You know, uh, we'll just uh, in this episode we're going to talk first about the southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, we're going to kind of kick things around and turn it upside down. And from this episode, uh, I'm not going. I'm going to be involved in in Tennessee as I have been, mm-hmm. but uh, 
I'm really kind of working my way out of Tennessee in this episode. I'm not going to go back there for a while. Mm. I'm going to spend the rest of the summer down there focusing on southeastern Gulf Coast. All right. All right. So, all right. That makes sense. And speaking of being familiar with what's going on, I hear you're, you're planning on starting to read your novel Brutus on the classic continental wrestling.com streaming channel very soon. I think that's pretty unique how that's going to work out. Fans are going to be able to hear a fantastic and thrilling story from beginning to end from the man who created it. That's a really cool idea, Stud. So how are you planning on doing this? How, how soon would this start? Well, gee, sir, you know, how I'm, I, it's like pretty much everything I do, man. Uh, this is going to be another first for me, uh, reading my own book and, uh, and then doing the whole thing. I plan on doing it all. So I'm going to read uh, the first one that I'm going to read is going to be on uh, the Friday before Memorial Day weekend, which is May 27th. Uh, we're going to put it on the uh, – streaming channel and uh it's going to be uh uh it'll start on that memorial weekend holiday basically so uh, i'm going to begin it with the there's two prologues in this novel and the first uh, first the story takes place actually on three continents so the first of the two prologues takes place in brisbane australia place i used to wrestle every wednesday for three months in australia and uh, it introduces basically basically the Australian undercover policeman that discovers the identity of an Australian mafia leader, man. And then he and his family, they have to leave the country because hmm. obviously you don't mess with them. Cosa Nostra, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, so he and his family, they get sent to America, uh, to an area called the Smoky Mountains, man. Uh, that's what, uh, you know, for them, they'd never heard of any, anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. They get sent there by the International Witness Protection Program. Wow. Adam from the Australian Mafia. Wow. And then there's a second prologue. We'll read that one in this first first one I'm going to do. And it takes place in Africa. And it describes the end of a record-breaking search involving the best hunters ever assembled on the African continent in search of the largest and the most deadly man-eating lion in its history, man, the country. The continent's history, the, and the beast's life, man, uh, is tragically spared. Uh, instead of shooting him, they dart him, and then uh, somehow, as the book goes on, this lion named Brutus <laughs> mysteriously appears in the American Zoo, Knoxville, Tennessee, near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Wow! Obviously, he's a instant sensation, man. Everybody in the world wants to see this lion because he's the biggest <laughs> ever in captivity. Wow. And But he's got a hidden past, man. And uh, that that's going to change everything in the peaceful mountains of the Smokies, man. <laughs> so, you know, and then after that, uh, you know, I'm going to read it as often as possible. Uh, and I'll read the rest of the novel, man. And I'll do it one chapter at a time. So I'm going to do those two prologues uh, when I get ready, uh, you know, and then get gets a set for it i'll read the next chapter and i'll read the entire novel on that classic continental wrestling.com streaming channel uh before it's all over that's pretty awesome that is a really cool idea ryan so your novel is truly spellbinding and the fact that you're going to be reading it yourself makes it an even more special and unique event especially on a wrestling streaming channel, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Speaking of special, I know you've added a lot of things in the last week. Tell us what's up. 
Well, man, we certainly have, Dave. Uh, we got five new Continental TV shows on there. We got four new stud stories on there now. And the first of many, uh, we're getting ready to do the first question and answer show where hmm. people are going to be able to call in and ask questions. And uh, those are going to all be on the streaming channel as well. Wow. All right, so the streaming channel is already loaded with so much content. Fans are raving about it. Subscribe now. It's the best way to go, $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Also still available is the great one-week free trial offer. If you don't like it, you can just leave it, and I seriously doubt that. Fans can take a full week to see as much as they want before joining. That offer is for a limited time only, so please go to Classic continentalwrestling.com Ron's streaming channel do that now while we're while we're handling this episode all right so where are we riding to get this thing kicked off stud well we're going to focus on the week of Sunday May 7th through the following Saturday night of May 13th we're obviously in 1978 and we usually begin in the north with the southeastern Knoxville territory and then ride south but since you're so impatient Dave hear about the one and only arrest of my life, in my life. Now, right. we're going to start in southeastern Gulf Coast this week. Mm-hmm. We're going to also talk about that territory. And it's having uh, ever its first ever full six-night week in which we ran six towns in one week for the first time down there. And we'll discuss the first event in Mobile, Alabama, and the first actual matches in Montgomery, Alabama, after we canceled the first time we tried to run about a month earlier. And we'll look at the TV of Saturday, May the 6th, that promotes the Dothan card. And uh, also the match for Friday night, May the 12th. We'll give everyone in the attendance for all six cities that ran and the entire week's attendance. So then we're going to ride north in the southeast of Knoxville. Uh, we're going to look at the card, same date of May 12th, 1978, Dothan running and Knoxville running, same night. And the TV that promoted that one up there in Tennessee on Saturday, May the 6th. The day that happened to be just after the match with Harley Race and I for the world. So we're going to give the results of the May 12th Coliseum card and the attendance. And and then if we got time permitting, man, we're going to answer a great learning tree question. Uh, kind of about the comparison of the greatest stars of all three wrestling companies that operated in that original Gulf Coast territory mm-hmm. between 1954 and 1987. Mm. All right, so it sounds like this is really going to be one of the busiest and wildest studcasts so far, Ron. All right, we, I think we should get started. So where are we beginning in southeastern Gulf Coast today? Well, we're going to kick, this, to kick it off, man, with my arrest in Mobile, Alabama, on the very first show we wow. ever ran there by southeastern Gulf Coast. Wow. It was on Tuesday, May 9th, 1978. We ran in Mobile's Expo Hall beautiful complex there they had a, an auditorium that seated about 15,000 and an expo hall that seated about six so it started with the main event for that night for the gulf coast championship belt to bob armstrong that's how this ride got started and as i mentioned earlier my father told me to watch my back and uh, and i didn't say earlier what but he said specifically in mobile and he was right about that i mean first night you know so the way it all got started is I, I kind of stole the belt from Bob Armstrong. I cheated a little bit, being a heel. That's nothing wrong with that. And uh, and I beat him. And uh, and I grabbed the belt and I left the ring uh, because 
but during the course of the night, I hadn't thought about it, but the Heels won every match that night, you know, and, uh, but building heat on the heels was the secret to building your territory, man. So, uh, so after five heel wins in a row, as soon as I stepped out of the ring with the belt, that crowd had had enough. <laughs> I got covered up, man, by a mass of humanity, pushing, shoving, swinging their fists, throwing chairs. It was like, you know, and, you know, that type of thing never happened in any city that I was ever aware of. Mm-hmm. The first time that you wrestling company went there, I mean, you usually didn't have enough heat to have a ride. Right. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that, yeah. that, that was, I was not expected. That's the last thing I thought would happen. Yeah. So thank goodness my father had told me to watch my back because I'd already gone to the hills before I went to the ring. And I said, guys, y'all need to watch this just, just in case, you know. And, uh, and by golly, I needed them, every one of them. Almost didn't have a big enough heel of cruise it was. So it's so it happened so fast, man. The pandemonium was kind of like everywhere I looked, man. Fans were flying across the floor because the heels beat a path. I mean, literally beat a path. They knocked people out of the way to get to me at the at the ring, practically at the drink ring, and we fought our way back to the dressing room. Uh, you know, I hit no telling how many people who had struck me first. You know, I, yeah, and then the next thing I was expecting to be was was a knife, man. I was thinking, wow, man, oh. I'm going to get stabbed or oh. cut long and deep here, oh. man. And, and I was literally fighting for my life. Mobile, Alabama, May the 9th, 1978. Wow. So a few minutes after I got to the dressing room, the first policeman came. And uh, and he asked me to put on some clothes. And he says, uh, we're going to take a little ride down to the jail. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> so, so, you know, and, and they said, uh, you know, they told me, he said, you know, there's a lot of people out there has been hurt. And he said, uh, and uh, that uh, you're, you're, you're the one, he says, you're the one, the last one in the ring. And uh, as far as we're concerned, you're the one that caused it. What? And he says, you're going to be the only one that's going to jail. Are you kidding? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was all my fault, which I was happy about. I, I didn't want anybody else to have to go through it. Yeah. I knew it's going to be a long night. So, so and then I spent uh, a few hours in the jail until my cousin Roy Lee Welch, who was in charge of handling the box office that night, wasn't mm-hmm. working on the card. He finally showed up and he had posted bail for me, and uh, we we went back to Pensacola. Okay, I got a ton of questions, but in in the meantime, let me just ask: Was this the worst riot you were ever in? Uh, well, up to this point, yes, you know. <laughs> but but there's going to be many other dangerous crowds in the buildings in this territory. Man. Oh, this I'm going to have riot stories. Wow, many of them. <laughs> and one of those one of those riots is going to send me to the hospital, man. Ooh. Thank God, I was the only one that ever got hurt. Among the great group of heels that, that we had with me, man, that risked their lives many, many times, man, to save mine. And I risked mine a lot of times to save theirs. You know, wow. uh, people down there in that part of the country, Dave, were dangerous. Mm. Welcome to Alabama, stud. <laughs> stuff, <laughs> yeah. stuff like this is so hard to imagine for a fan the fact that some of you risk your lives to build your business, that's just crazy. What was the attendance for this first wild Southeastern Gulf Coast event in Mobile, Alabama? Well, 
it started off great, Dave. It was the best first night yet for any of those new cities in that territory down there. We had 1,700 fans showed up that night in, in, in what was going to be the best wrestling city in southeastern Gulf Coast, undoubtedly, until Birmingham uh, and a couple of years later, three years later, uh, is going to blow Mobile's numbers away, you know, a few years down the road. But uh, so we added more police the next week. Uh, we were better prepared for whatever came next because uh, I always watched my back from then on in that city in particular. Okay, that sounds like a really good idea to watch your back as well as maybe hiring a bodyguard, which <laughs> would have been even better. All right, that's crazy. So where to next, Dud? Uh, we talked recently about how TVs were bicycled around the territories and why we did it that way. And uh, so let's talk a little bit today about how that affected the cards in different cities and what effect the TV's content had on the cards and the success of your territory. Uh, obviously, your television is so important. So southeastern Knoxville had kind of a unique TV situation. It was basically a one-city territory. Everything was on... Uh, the weekly TV show could always be designed to promote just one city, that city, Knoxville, with one car. So everything else other than Johnson City, Tennessee, which ran ran there as a spot show, everything else there and a spot show, Johnson City was the only other weekly town, and it had its own TV. So southeastern Gulf Coast was totally different. It had four major cities that ran every week, operating off of three different TV stations, all of them in Alabama, southern part of Alabama. Two of those stations covered parts of the Florida Panhandle. So every TV that was produced in Dothan had that city's card, and the TV was designed to promote that particular card. And then the card and the TV promoting it were bicycled to the next major city that would use the same card. So the TV card would go from Dothan to Mobile, and it'd be used as the card there in the second week, then sent to Montgomery to be used as the card in that city on the third week after it was done in Dothan. So uh, he went back to Dothan the next week, and it was recorded over again, and the cycle started all over again. So that way, each of the major cities being promoted off of a different TV station used the same card as the original one that had started everything out in Dothan. So since there were only three major cities operating off of three different TV stations and all three cities uh, were more than 100 miles apart, we could use the same card in all three cities mm -hmm. without most southeastern Gulf Coast mm -hmm. fans realizing it. Ah. So that made it a lot easier to book the territory because you didn't have to have three different towns and it, uh, three different cards. And if you had three different cards, you'd have to have three different TVs in yep. order to promote it properly. Yep. So that's how most large territories work all over the country. How many major markets promoted uh, having a whole lot of major markets promoted off of a bunch of different TV stations. Mm. So uh, it worked for everybody else, and it worked down there as well. Yeah, that's really fascinating stuff, Stud. I want to see if I understand this. So the TV show every week was designed specifically to promote a particular card that would be run in several different markets, several different cities off of several different TV stations. The cards would all be the same depending on when that card was shown on TV. The card and TV show was basically like a package deal 
that move from one TV station to another, and therefore the same card moved with it from city to city. You were doing this in 78, and I noticed that WWF in the day, Vince was doing this in the 80s. You would see the same card in multiple markets. So yeah. the main event, so he was, I don't know if you say he was saving on talent, saving on storylines, but it, I don't know. Did you start this? Did, uh, was Vince doing this all along? I think uh, probably Vince, uh, he, he was uh, getting started in that time frame, and mm -hmm. uh, he was doing kind of what his dad probably did. Yeah. They had a bunch of big cities in the northeastern part of the country. Yeah. I know that uh, the Florida Territory was doing it in 1970 yeah. when I went there. Uh, they had Miami and Tampa and Jacksonville and uh, right. Tallahassee. It all get the same card. And the cool thing is the fans never knew that what was happening in Dothan might be happening the next week in Mobile, for example. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so you got it, Dave. I yeah. mean, you really picked up on it, man. Yeah. So, so let's get the next Dothan card for Friday, May the 12th, 1978. And uh, when we go through this card, you can, you can uh, bear in mind that uh, on the next, the, the next, uh, week it, that card will be in mobile and uh in two weeks later that card will be in montgomery so this card on may the 12th had several return matches from the week before uh, we were at this point beginning to work some stronger angles uh guys were beginning to get over and you could start to angle them more and uh, people are really going to get into it and those angles lead to longer programs which means uh longer different longer time period that the same two guys work with each other. That leads to more return matches. And uh, these return matches had special stipulations for that made them even more interesting. Mm -hmm. So stuff is about to start going there. <laughs> you know, we've got guys uh, established. Now we're going to start using them in a way that we can start drawing crowds. Cool. Yeah. So, so the opening match on this May the 12th, 1978 Dothan card was the pro against Eddie Sullivan. The second match was a, now, at this point, a 45-minute time limit because we had worked an angle between Eddie Mansfield and Mike Stallings just built around having a Broadway match, a time limit match. So they're in their third week this on this card together, the two of them. And the first match they had, Three weeks earlier was a 15-minute time limit. Then uh, they had the next week a 30-minute time limit. And now in the third week, this is a 45-minute time limit. So uh, Charlie Cook and David Schultz, uh, they were entering their third straight week against each other as well. And this time their match was the Texas death match rules. So, uh, you know, we're getting to some, some better matches and something that the fans are going to really sink their teeth into. Uh, Billy Spears, at this point, was embarrassed by his uh, his outcome the week before in that first tag elimination match in Southeastern Gulf Coast history because all three of his team on his team lost, and they couldn't beat one guy on the other team. So, uh, so Billy went back to Mama, who had all the bread, and, uh, and uh, he got her to cough up $10,000, and, and he – and and she and he told her, you know, hey, mama, I want to want to put up ten thousand uh, dollars. We didn't. We really got beat up bad, and uh, mm -hmm. you know. And he says, uh, so she says, yeah, I'll back my son's team and and Billy. And uh, so she, so she would uh, on the next uh, 
David, she came down and uh, gave him the bread, and he came down and decided, by golly, uh, we're going to make a bet and see if, see if we can do better in this next one. Hmm. So, uh, so only in the, only if the Gibsons, he said though. But uh, you know, he was thinking that I'm only going to do this if the Gibsons and Rip Tyler will come up enough money to to take the bet up, right? Ah. You know, okay. it's easy money. It's easy, man, to lose your mama's money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but we're going to get to that uh, when we talk about the TV. <laughs> it's a pretty good segment here about the TV when all this gets explained. So the main event on this card was Bob Armstrong defending <laughs> the Gulf Coast Championship versus another huge star from the Gulf Coast hit territory history, Don Fargo. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Been there many, many times. So when this TV show is sent to Mobile and Montgomery, I'm going to be Bob's opponent, but <laughs> I'm not going to be his opponent on this card. Uh, mm. So, uh, uh, and uh, there's a reason for that. All right. That's still another great card. Really good card. Where were you on this particular Friday night in May of 1978? And what was on TV for May 6th of 78, promoting this card six days later? Well, I was booked in Knoxville. Uh, and it's going to be my last time in the summer of 1978 that I'm going to work Knoxville or anywhere up there. So uh, when I got back to Pensacola on Sunday night, after being there and wrestling against Harley Race and getting back to Pensacola to wrestle in Pensacola on Sunday night, Man, it was going to be full steam ahead for me for Southeastern Gulf Coast. That was my mm. my focus from then on. So on the Dothan TV of May the 6th, uh, Gordon Soley returned for his second week as commentator with Charlie Platt, and it was the second week of the May TV rating period. And so we're kicking it again like we did last week, big card. The Assassins and Billy Spears uh, in the ring with them, uh, Opened up the TV with another six-man tag, just like we'd had the week before. This one opened with another six-man tag. The Assassin's in there, but instead of them having Eddie Mansfield, they got Billy Spears in the ring with them. So, and his Assassins were entirely responsible for the victory because Billy Spears never got in the ring. <laughs> so they beat the three people <laughs> there they were against, and Billy Spears stayed out there on the apron and came in and raised their hands when they'd got it done. Wow. So Bob Armstrong defended his Gulf Coast belt again on TV. He had been on the last show and defended his belt. He defended it on this one, and uh, then he watched the video. He watched the video from the night before where he had put Don Carson to sleep for the win. And, uh, wow, people in the studio crowd loved that one, man. I think they liked it as much watching it second time as they did the night before. And then he interviewed about his upcoming title match the next Friday night in Dothan with the legendary Don Fargo, which he was pretty much a legend in that part of the country. So uh, Don Fargo had sent in an interview that ran along with Bob's interview uh, after the after Bob defended his title. Then it came time for the personality profile. This one was done live with Gordon Sully doing it uh, instead of Charlie this time. And he had both the Gibson brothers and Rip Tyler on there with him. And they watched that big six-man elimination tag match from the night before where they beat both of the assassins and and, uh, their, and Billy Spears. And, uh, you know, uh, it just was crazy. And uh, they were 
They, so out Billy Spears came of his dressing room because they had the monitors in the dressing room so the guys could watch the matches as well as the people in the stands, watch the monitors. They watched the actual matches, but you could watch it on TV in all the studios, wherever you, you uh, cut wrestling programs. So Billy Spears, he sees the first part of it, and the Tyler and the Gibsons are laughing it off, and why we beat all three of them when none of us ever got beat. And then out comes Billy Spears, and uh, and he came, uh, you know, he'd been watching the pro- profile, which was live on the monitor, and he interrupted the three of them. And, uh, and that's where he comes out with the big handful of cash, and he <laughs> offers them a $10,000 bet. And he says very plainly, he says, uh, the bet is that me and my team will defeat all three of you in an elimination tag money. And he says, all you got to do is uh, is get get the money together. And if you got enough guts to put the money up, uh, there's 10,000 bet on it. Wow. So, you know, the two Gibson boys were young. Uh, they didn't have $10,000. <laughs> right. You know, I mean... Uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, Rip Tyler was not a wealthy guy, you know, so mm-hmm. they kind of looked uh, at each other kind of funny. Uh, you know, Spears had put them on the spot, you know, <laughs> and they, and you know, they didn't have the money. So Billy Spears, he started to make fun of them, calling them a bunch of financial losers. <laughs> you guys are just losers. <laughs> you know, $10,000 between the three of you. And he says, uh, well, forget it. And he's turned around and he started for the dressing room. You know, he's going to go back. He had mm. done what he wanted to do, basically. Mm. So uh, Bob Armstrong came out of his dressing room, man, uh-huh. and he stopped him on the way back to Spears' dressing room. Uh-oh. And he, and he <laughs> you know, and, and he kind of grabbed him by the arm and he took him back over to where Gordon and the three of them were sitting. And he says, uh, he wanted to make sure the people heard it. And he says, you know what? He goes, uh, these boys may not have the 10 grand. He says, but by God, I do. And he goes, I'll take your bet. He said, I'll take your bet. He says, I believe in these guys. He said, I don't believe it was a fluke that they beat all three of you. I think they're going to do it again. He said, I'm willing to put up 10,000 against you, 10,000 Spears. And wow, the studio popped. But so did Spears, man. He really didn't want to take the bet. Don't think, right? Yeah. He, he knew they weren't going to have the money, but boy, you know, and his trick was he wanted to make them look stupid on TV and <laughs> that had backfired. Oh, the, the bullet, man, put the, put the shot in him. Mm-hmm. So, so then, uh, so that, that match was done on the personality profile that was set that, that okay, it's 10,000 of Bob's money against 10,000 of Billy Spears, mom's money. And, uh, so then David Schultz opened up the third segment with the video from the night before where he and Charlie Cook, they they were in a lumberjack match, but all the wrestlers around the ring couldn't keep them in the ring, man. They just, they were fought all over the building like they had the week before. And uh, during the course of this, Schultz, Schultz was a little outlandish, man, out of control sometimes. And he got very insulted, man, and full of controversial comments about Charlie Cook's being a, a lousy black wrestler with no class. I mean, you know, it, and, and I, I got scared. I got, you know, uh, once they told me, Bob says, you know, Schultz said something, you know, and we talked about it. And I was like, oh, man, wait a whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. Right? So, uh, so, but 
the Charlie Cook wasn't out there. It was just Schultz. He watched the match, and he, and he had mm-hmm. some bad comments. And then out popped Charlie Cook. He's in the third match, man. And, wow, that changed the atmosphere in the studio. Everybody went from quiet and down to up, man. And then they both made interviews about their upcoming Texas death match after Charlie got his win. And then the last TV match was for the Gulf Coast Tag Championship. And Ricky and Robert Gibson uh, were defending their belts uh, for the first time ever on TV. And Spears and his assassins came out of the dressing room and they stood out there at ringside, basically, and watched the match. Until it was clear the Gibsons were going to get the victory. And, uh, hmm. and as soon as they did get the victory, all three of those guys hit the ring, man, like they were going to jump the two boys. They were tired <laughs> at this point. They'd had a match. Mm-hmm. And, uh, boy, the studio went wild, man. They were like, oh, geez, wait a minute. And uh, along came Rip Tyler, came fronted from the dress room. He hit the ring to help the boys. And Spears and Assassins, they hit a, made a hasty retreat to the dressing room. <laughs> but, uh, it was a pretty darn good TV, sound like, uh, from what Bob told me. I wasn't there. I was in Knoxville for this one. Yeah, another great rating period TV, I bet. But what happened in Dothan the next Friday night? Well, the pro beat Ellie, Eddie Sullivan, uh, Eddie Mansfield, about the 40-minute mark of a 45-minute time limit match, he just went to the dressing room. Couldn't take no more. What? And uh, wow. And he, he left it, and uh, he got counted out. And uh, and Mike Stallings had beat him, man. Uh, yeah. Told me uh, Bob Armstrong told me uh, on Sunday night when I saw him again. He said, "Wow, Eddie Mansfield leaving the ring with five minutes left in that match." He said, "You imagine? You can't imagine the heat that got, Ron." He said, "Wow." The fans booed him like crazy, right? So, so then both Charlie Cook and David Schultz. Uh, they were bleeding at the end of their Texas death match. And Larry Brock, Larry Brock, uh, who you're familiar with, the referee uh, there Indeed. for many, many years and a great referee at that, yep. got knocked down in this match. And, and Eddie Mansfield uh, brought an object to the ring and he passed it to Schultz. And Schultz had plenty of time to use it on Cook and he got the victory. Cook couldn't get up after he got a shot from whatever he had hit him with. And Bob Armstrong told me, that the rest of the heels in the dressing room had to come halfway down to the ring to get Schultz and Mansfield out of there. So, gosh, we're getting some real heat there, man, uh, about after what happened to me in Mobile on the Tuesday night. A few nights, few nights later, we're, we're dealing with it again. So the six-man elimination match came, and it began with Bob Armstrong coming down to the ring with his $10,000. And then Spears handed his 10000 to the timekeeper, sitting there in the corner of the ring who rang the bell. And the match's results was exactly like Bob has predicted, the same as the week before. Spears is in, and his entire team was beaten before any of anybody lost on the other team. Uh, you know, but it didn't take those guys long to get their heat back as, as – Two of them had already gone to the dressing room because they'd been beaten. So when the yeah. third one got beat, the other two came back to the ring and they went over and snatched the whole 20 grand from the timekeeper and ran <laughs> back to the dressing room. With them. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so Bob says, uh, you know, Bob went, Bob went to the ring. He was absolutely wild, I mean, wild man. I mean, you know, they are taking his money, right? I mean, right. And, and they they had lost. So, so, you know, Don Fargo then came down to the ring because it's time to work 
and have his match with Bob Armstrong. But oh, poor old Don found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh -oh. Bob's already pissed, man. He's <laughs> lost 10 grand. So Bob got himself a very quick win in the championship match over a strong heel, which was Don Fargo. And uh, and he won again that match with a sleeper hold. And uh, boy, the crowd, Bob said the crowd was going nuts, man. They were trying to carry him to the dressing room. I can see that Dothan crowd, but uh, so, but how'd you do in attendance? I know that you were marking every week and hoping for add a little, add a little. So how'd you do the first after that first full week of Southeastern Gulf Coast? Well, let's start. We'll do the whole week. Uh, let's let's start with the first night and run it down. What the entire week did. Uh, cool. So we began on Sunday, May the seventh, uh, in Pensacola, Florida. We ended up with 1,200 fans. We were up by a little more than 100 fans. We were up on the second time that that town had run. Montgomery ran on a Monday, and it was its actual first show because uh, we had gave the money back <laughs> when we tried to run the first time. We didn't have enough people there to even run. So this time, we had a big enough crowd to run. This time, it was much better, as a matter of fact. So Montgomery's first ever Gulf Coast live event drew 800 people, which it went from basically maybe 200 to 800 people by having them watch four more televisions. That, that We were making a difference. So Mobile on Tuesday night, as we talked about earlier, had 1,700 fans, and it was its first live event, bigger opening than Dothan had. Wow. Uh, Panama City, Florida, and Dothan had the Giant on its first card. Yeah. Panama City, Florida on Thursday night of that week had 700 fans. It was about 200 fans bigger than the first event the week before. Uh, Dothan, Alabama on Friday night uh, was up another 100 fans, Dave, to 2,300. Mm. We're crawling, but we're crawling upward, man. Uh, New Brockton ran on the Saturday night. That's just outside of Dothan. Had 1,100 people in New Brockton, wow. which is a big crowd for New Brockton, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was up about 100 fans more than what it had been before. So uh, it was really, basically, these six towns were nothing compared to what it's going to be like in the future. But uh, almost 7,000 fans came in the first full six nights ever for Southeastern Gulf Coast. Wow. I'll tell you what, that's a great way to start this stud cast. So, and le let's do this. We're going to be coming back. Let's do a break. I think we're close enough. And after the break, we're going north this time, I think, to the great state of Tennessee, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Let me mention that as we take this break. It's streaming everything that you see on YouTube's Southeastern Rewind and more. And don't forget the stuff we were talking about earlier where the stud is going to be reading his novel, Southeastern, it, everything there is now on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. So remember that, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. That's where it's all moving to. I'll tell you what, we'll take the break. We'll come back. Check it out while we're doing the break. Classic Continental Wrestling. We'll be right back. Many say that Ron Fuller Welch produced some of the best old school, state-of-the-art TV wrestling shows ever, along with some of the best wrestling territories. His work is best experienced on one of the hottest wrestling streaming channels in the world. Find out why they call him the Wrestling Wizard. Go to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. It gets you Continental and USA TV shows, documentaries, 
one-hour stud cast, three-hour super stud cast, stud stories, superstars of the past series, stars of the sports series, and so much more. Subscribe now and get a free one-week trial session. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com All right, welcome back in. David Summers with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, and another stud cast. Okay, Ron, so we're going north to Knoxville. So how do we begin this ride in the great state of Tennessee? Well, we're going to start with uh, Friday night, the May 12th cart in the Coliseum, same night as this Dothan cart that we just talked about. Uh, so we're going to be 500 miles north uh, on the same night. Rip Smith is going to open that cart up against Ron Wright. Uh, there's a classic match in the second match in this card. The Olympian star Bob Roop is going to face off against Mid-South wrestling legend, the Junkyard Dog, Sylvester Ritter. Uh, that's main event. Pretty much any city in the country, man. It's second match. Georgia superstar Mr. Wrestling 2 is going to face off with the great Malenko. A special challenge match, Ronnie Garvin's against Don Carson. There's a Southeastern Tag Championship belts are up. They're being held up because of the match they had last week. And then uh, this match was going to be for those belts. And uh, there's going to have to be a winner for it. The one that's coming up on uh, Friday night, the 12th. Uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden are against Dennis Condry and a mystery partner presented by Ron Wright. And Ron Wright's always coming with some kind of mystery. So, so I was just coming off the second one-hour draw match with the NWA champion Harley Race in just more than a year, two one-hour draws with the same champion. And I was going up against a Mongolian stomper for his southeastern belt on this Friday night, the 12th. So things had changed dramatically for the stomper, man. Compliments of Ronnie Garvin, because Ronnie Garvin had injured Gorgeous George Jr. the Friday night before this one. And, uh, and it appeared Gorgeous George was not going to manage his stomper maybe ever again, or certainly not for a long time. Uh, he really got hurt bad by Garvin. This is the second time in a row, second week in a row that Garvin had jumped him. Okay, that's a great card. So what will the stomper do for a manager with Gorgeous George Jr. being out of the picture now? Well, I guess we have to get to the TV of Saturday, May the 6th, man, to find that out. Uh, so... One of the biggest nights ever in Southeastern was the night before this TV. Uh, that's, a, that's a night that I wrestled Harley Race for the second time. And then it was another almost all-time record crowd. It was another NWA world title draw between me and Race. And it was maybe the last time Gorgeous George Jr. was ever going to manage his stomper. So the TV was in the May rating book and time frame, and this one was loaded. Uh, Les ran down the TV card for the day. It was a TV title match with champion Robert Fuller on the card defending his beautiful TV trophy. It was a Southeastern Championship defense by the Mongolian Stomper without a manager and against a very special opponent. And then there was a live personality profile with the NWA world champion himself live Harley Race, the day after his title defense against me. So when Les finished, the cameras backed away, and uh, he was sitting there with Ronnie Garvin. The studio crowd popped. They loved Garvin. He was really over at this point. In the background was this huge still shot of Ronnie Garvin. He had his knee buried deep in the throat of gorgeous George Jr. after he had jumped off the top rope the night before in the Coliseum. 
And uh, then they showed Gigi being stretchered out for the second week in a row. So Les brought up the fact that Garvin had predicted this injury for the last two weeks on TV and that he didn't see how gorgeous George Jr. would be back soon after that kind of injury and maybe never because, uh, you know, Ronnie did a great job on him on this one. He not only jumped off in his throat, then he piledrived him too. So Les recalled that uh, he could only remember one time that the Mongolian stomper had gone into the ring without a manager in Southeastern, and that was his very first match that he had in Southeastern. So uh, then Les hit Ronnie and the fans watching with a big surprise. He asked Ronnie if he'd like another shot at the Stomper's title real soon. Well, Garvin responded with a big smile, obviously, and I'm there. I watched this TV personally, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, yes, of course I would. <laughs> what? Why not, right? So Les said, well, I hope you brought your gear today because Don Curtis wants you to meet the Mongolian Stomper on TV today wow. for the championship last match in this show. The studio popped, as you can imagine. I bet they popped all over the Southeast in their living rooms, too. (laughs) So Garvin's face lit up, and uh, he just about jumped up. He literally ran from the set so he could get himself dressed in time. Yeah. (laughs) And and on his way out, he passed Robert, who was dressed to wrestle, and he was carrying his TV trophy, Mm -hmm. and Jimmy Golden was with him. And they were entering the studio – just as Garvin was trying to run out the same entrance yeah. and uh, they cop stopped and exchanged greetings with each other. They shook hands and they congratulated Garvin for his unexpected Southeastern title match on TV. And so then Rob sat down, set the trophy on the desk in front of him and Les pulled out the two Southeastern tag belts that were being held up, set them on the desk in front of him. And he started to explain why the belts were there. And the three of them then watched the video of their tag team match the night before where the belts had been held up. And in this match, at the end of it, it appeared Phil Hickerson got hurt. Uh, and they picked up on that. Now, there's a mystery partner involved here. And that I guess that's they figured out, well, wow, this is the deal. So they were informed by Les that Hickerson had truly been injured and Condry would have a mystery partner in his corner for the next Friday night and that they would be uh, wrestling for the held-up belt, and there had to be a winner in that match. It was Somebody's going to walk away as the tag champions. So they finished, uh, and they left the belts laying there uh, because, obviously, they hadn't won them. So Rob went to the ring, and Jimmy returned to the dressing room, uh, which was in the studio behind uh, this big wall that was there. So he kind of disappeared back into the dressing room area. Rob went to the ring. And the studio crowd gave Rob a big welcome in, and he set the big trophy over into the middle of the ring. And uh, and uh, then the, it got suddenly silent, man, when his opponent entered. Uh, Dennis Condry and Ron Wright turned the corner and came into the studio. Uh, and fans, I don't think were expecting that. I was there, and you know, and I thought the studio audience was was very much not expecting this to be Condry that's going to get the match with Rob. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wright's there on the floor managing him. And so Robert and Dennis Condry had a great match, man. And at the end of it, Robert and Condry, they were crisscrossing in the middle of the ring. And uh, Wright saw his opportunity. Referees looking the other way, and he jerked Rob's feet out from under him. And Rob went down face first. Oh. Uh, Jimmy Golden sitting in the back. A monitor in the studio and in, in the back so you can see what's going on jimmy sees it and he comes flying out in the studio after ron wright 
So the referee went to the ropes and he's trying to stop them. They're fighting on the floor. And Condry picks up Rob, going to give him a slam, but Rob dropped right behind him and he put the old fuller leg lock on him. And that was the win. That would have been it. Should have been over. And then suddenly, man, uh, a big old bulky, kind of familiar uh, guy with a black mask on and a black outfit shot up into the ring behind the ref's back. And uh, he dropped down on his knees and head-butted Rob in the forehead. And, uh, and then he shot back out on the floor. He was big, but he was sure quick, man. And he shot back out on the floor and was gone. Ref turned around never saw him. Uh, and uh, Connery about that point was rolling over on top of Rob. And the three count ended Rob's reign as TV champion. So one of the former tag champions, Rob, had been replaced by another tag partner from a different team. So the TV trophy was handed to Condry, and him and Wright began to celebrate, and the crowd was booing like crazy. Uh, so Condry and Wright went to the set with Liz, and they were joined by that guy, the large guy in black. And the fans in the studio started yelling, assassin, assassin, you know, and the assassin <laughs> had lost a loser leave. He was not supposed to be there, hmm. you know. Uh, and Les tried to talk to him, but the mystery partner would say nothing. You know, Les asked who he who he was, and yeah. his two partners said nothing, obviously. So it was going to be a very interesting tag match uh, six nights later on the Friday night uh, for that belt. So the great Malenko, he got himself another strong win in the second match on that show. Uh, and he had been – he had won everything. He had yet to lose a match since he came. NWA champion Harley Race had stayed over at my request just to do this personality profile segment. Wow. And then in the segment, he put me over big time, man. And he basically said, I was, I was as tough as any opponent anywhere in the world. <laughs> and, uh, and then he rushed out of the studio and he caught a four o'clock fight to Dallas, Texas, where he's defending 10 pounds of gold that night. <laughs> His schedule was unbelievable. Wow. As you can imagine. Yeah. And it was crazy. So uh, then Bob Roop got a win in the third TV match. And he and the junkyard dog, Sylvester Ritter, uh, they both made predictions about their upcoming match against each other six days later. And, uh, and it was going to be Sylvester Ritter's last week ever in Southeastern. He had kind of come for two weeks. He liked it so much, he come for a vacation. And he was headed back to uh, Louisiana and Oklahoma and Mid-South and where he was going to become a Hall of Famer. So the last TV match uh, for the Mongolian was for the Mongolian Stompers Southeastern Belt. It was against Ronnie Garvin, and that match rocked that studio. Those fans were going crazy. And it, and it was obvious how lost the Stomper was with no manager in his corner. Uh, he began to hold his hands over his ears again. He hadn't done that in quite a while, but, you know, he – and he kept looking down, looking down in the corner. You know, he's like, he just, he needed a manager. It was so obvious. And toward the end of that match, the crowd was going crazy, man. And his ears, are, head was over, his hands were over his ears. And he just left the ring. He went to the dressing room. He just, he couldn't deal with it. And the, the, the referee counted him out. And uh, Garvin got his hand raised which the crowd loved that, but he couldn't win the belt on a count out. So, uh, so he, but he did win the battle for the fans. I can tell you that he won it every time he was around them. So I made almost, uh, you know, the entire last interview, uh, 
because my match was with the Stomper. He was in Studio B. He was alone by himself. He was holding his belt. And he and he continued as I was talking to make those crazy barking noises like that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. He would do that. Right? He'd jump <laughs> up to the screen. He couldn't talk. There was nobody to say anything for yeah. him. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm talking and he's making those noises and, uh, you know, and he's used to being by, standing behind his manager and making those noises. Now right. he's there by himself. Yeah. I almost felt a little sorry for him, huh? you know, because wow. there, there, you know, the Southeastern belt was on the line the next Friday night and he's got nobody to help him, man. No manager. I mean, so, but not too, not too sorry, man. <laughs> had an opportunity to win the belt. Well, I'm not going to cry a mess for him. Well, I thought you were going to hug him or something, right? <laughs> no, I'm not hurting. All right. That's a, man, that's a great TV. That's a couple of great TVs right there. Your two companies were producing in those days. That was really good stuff. So what happened the following Friday night in the Knoxville Coliseum? Well, Rip Smith beat Ron Wright in the opening match. Bob Root won an absolutely fantastic match against the Junkyard Dog, Sylvester Ritter. I mean, that crowd loved that match. Uh, and, wow, uh, like I said, that's a main event just about anywhere in the country in his second match on this card. So it tells you a lot about the talent we had. Mr. Wrestling 2 out of Georgia got beat by the great Malenko in the third match. Ronnie Garvin beat Don Carson in the special challenge match. And Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden regained their Southeastern Tag Championships against the new TV champion, Dennis Condry, and the mysterious man in black who was presented both that team by Ron Wright. Uh, then the Mongolian Stomper came to the ring alone with his southeastern belt, uh, and I was already there before him. Uh, and as he came to the ring, boy, they got on him right away. They picked up on the the the, the, the fact that his ears hurt when he got too too noisy, and uh, and he was already had his hands over his ears before he even got to the ring. I mean, he was in trouble. So we had a great match. Uh, and the crowd was tremendously enthusiastic, man. And at the end of it, uh, I was really taking it to him, man, and hitting him with those big old round, <laughs> roundhouse punches I throw. And and uh, and then uh, he grabbed the headlock on me just to keep me from hitting him with another shot. And I fired him off, shooting him into the ropes. But he collided with the ref, and the ref went out out of, through the ropes and out on the concrete. And, mm. Then the stomper staggered back, kind of staggered back to where I was. And I just put the old uh, grapevine on him, man, and rolled him right up into the old fuller leg lock, man. I had the belt. It was over. And uh, and who do you think appears out of nowhere, man, but Don Carson. Man. <laughs> uh -uh. <laughs> oh, man, man. Wow. Can you believe it? And uh, so Don Carson comes from nowhere. Uh, referee still out there hurt on the concrete. And he stood over me and reached up and held and loaded his black glove, standing over top of me, man. And I got my legs all tied up with the stompers. I can't get loose. And, uh, boy, I, I, was, I was looking helplessly up at him, man. And, uh, boy, he dropped down on his knees and he blasted me with his peanut butter, man. Uh, he left the ring. The ref never saw him. And, uh, and the ref called in the ring and counted me out. Stomper covered me. And uh, it not have been a good week for the Fuller brothers. Hmm. And Rob had lost in a similar way to, to the guy dressed in black. Mm -hmm. He lost his TV trophy. And six days later, I lose 
the, the chance to win the Southeastern title mm-hmm. uh, in a very similar way. So uh, from then on, man, wherever you saw the stomper, you saw Don Carson. Well, a match made in heaven right there. All right, so what was the attendance for this particular Friday night? And I'm just curious, what was the total attendance for both territories? Well, so let's see. Uh, well, Knoxville was 5,500 that night. And uh, and uh, during that time frame, southeastern Knoxville, that territory was averaging about 20,000 fans a week. Uh, southeastern Gulf Coast did 7,000 fans. We talked about that earlier in the show. So there we sold, I guess, in that week, uh, 27,000 total tickets. Uh, that's in both territories combined. And uh, we sold the tickets prices were about $4 average. And uh, that's about, uh, that's a, that's a over a hundred thousand, about a hundred and eight thousand dollars gross. Wow. Week. Yeah. God. Uh, you know, and in Southeast of Knoxville talent, uh, the guys in Knoxville made about double what the Gulf Coast crew down there did, but that wasn't going to, that was going to change real soon. I can tell you that. So, but was that really the last time you were going to be in Knoxville for some time? Oh, yes, it was. It sure was, man. In fact, I'd already found me an apartment in Pensacola, but I kept my town home in uh, Knoxville. Hmm. So, and I was going to quit flying back and forth on a regular basis. In fact, uh, over the rest of that summer, I was rarely going to go to Knoxville at all for the rest of the summer. I was committed to making Southeastern Gulf Coast just as successful as Knoxville was. Uh, Businessmen and business down there, Southeastern Gulf Coast in the summer of 98, since 1978 just exploded, man. It went crazy. Wow. All right, I can't believe it, but we are going to have, I think we're going to have enough time to answer the learning tree question for today. It comes from Twitter and someone that calls himself the Ole Anderson of CG. He asked, quote, if Southeastern Gulf Coast had an all-time Hall of Fame, including from your Father's Day and the Fields Brothers Day, which wrestlers would be at the top? I love this question, Dave. That's a that's a great question. My goodness. So he's asking, uh, there's, that territory had three different ownerships. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. asking who was the greatest of all. So, you know, uh, crazy, crazy good one, man. Yeah. And it, this question kind of, it's going to include some of the best wrestlers in the history of this sport. Uh, and I think a little bit about, uh, I think I just, just picked three guys from each one of those promotions over that 34-year period of time. Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, since my dad went there in 1954 and started Gulf Coast Racing, uh, uh, let's start with his time frame. From 1954 to 1959, uh, he was in that territory. And, uh, and he had, and boy, this jumps right straight out at me. He had three of the all-time great heels during those years why his territory got off to such a tremendous start. First one that comes to mind is Ray Stevens. Uh, People all over the country will recognize that name because he went darn near everywhere. Uh, He got his start in the Gulf Coast territory and he went on to become one of the stars of the sport. Wherever he went, he was a star. 
and he went just about everywhere a wrestler could, man. He had a brilliant career. So I would say Ray Stevens is one of Dad's three. Mario Glento was a monster heel in the Gulf Coast. Uh, he and my father drew one of the largest crowds in wrestling history in Mobile, Alabama in 1958. 40,000 people packed Aladdin Memorial Football Stadium to see them fight for five minutes. It was never a wrestling match. It was about a five to eight minute uh, brawl in which both of them left with, uh, with uh, God, uh, uh, 68 stitches in one eye for Mario Galento. Just one eye. And both of them were busted. So, wow, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible deal to watch. Uh, but, uh, wow, what a huge crowd. And then there's the last one I can think of, man, is Putney Monroe. And uh, he also got his start there in the Gulf Coast. And uh, he, too, had an illustrious career in the ring. But he also had a great career outside. Uh, he basically single-handedly changed the civil rights movement in the South. And it especially started in Memphis, Tennessee, where he, uh, he, he had so much power and so much notoriety in mm -hmm. the city of Memphis that he said, if you don't let the blacks sit anywhere they want to in the building, I'm going to leave Memphis. Wow. Wow. And, uh, and he did. And, uh, and the blacks quit coming to the matches. And, uh, and it, he desegregated. He, in, he personally desegregated the city of Memphis, uh, the first city in the South to do wow. that. They yeah. put the blacks in, the, in wherever they wanted to see yeah. in the building. And uh, that had never been done before. So uh, I got to say, uh, Ray Stevens, Mario Galento, and Sputnik Monroe for my dad. Now, the Fields Brothers, which happened to be part of my Webb's family as well, they ran that territory from 1959 to 1978 when I bought it from them. And, uh, and I don't know all of their stars from those years because I didn't spend much time down there. I did wrestle one time in Mobile uh, when I was still in college. But, uh, but I, do, I do know that uh, uh, they, they, uh, they had stars there, man, that really stood out, uh, not just in the Gulf Coast, but uh, pretty much wherever they went. The first one, man, this one jumped out at me right right away is he was a rare talent, both in the ring and he was a tremendous booker, young guy. He was gone far too soon for making his legend bigger, man. But he had a magnificent run in Gulf Coast. I heard a lot of talk about it. And then he came to Florida where I was there as a young star in the early 1970s. Uh, he was Bobby Shane and he lost his life uh, right in his prime, uh, in a in a plane crash with Buddy Colt in Tampa Bay in 1975. Mm. Mm -mm. Uh, wow, one of the greats. His his whole career was ahead of him. Terrible, terrible. Mm. Uh, another guy you'll recognize this name. I'm pretty sure Ken Lucas, one of the greatest baby faces ever yeah. anywhere yeah. in the country, no and doubt. not just a great baby face, but a wonderful person. Uh, and he worked for me in both southeastern territories, but he was a far bigger star in Gulf Coast for the fields than uh, than many of the others over there. Everybody the third loved one him. is yep. Cowboy Kelly, Cowboy Bob Kelly. Uh, I don't really know Bob Kelly well, but I do know his reputation was very big in working for the Fields Brothers. Uh, he didn't work a lot of territories. He wasn't a big star around the country, but he was a big part of that, of their Gulf Coast success. So uh, that's the three for them, Bobby Shane, Ken Lucas, and 
cowboy Bob Kelly for the Fields Boys. So uh, my southeastern Gulf Coast territory run started in 78. That's the year we're in right now. And it ended when most of the territories in the world ended their, their run. And that was about around 1988. You know. So this is a real hard one for me, Dave, uh, you know, uh, because there were so many stars that worked for me during this time, mm-hmm. from 78 to 88 down there. Yep. Uh, great, great wrestlers. Uh, so the first guy, I guess, uh, uh, I'd have to put him on the list here because of his worldwide persona, man. <laughs> Southeastern Gulf Coast uh, is where he started. Uh, he became probably the biggest name maybe ever in the history of the sport. Terry <laughs> uh, Bolia, who's going to become Hulk Hogan. Yep. Uh, he worked for our company down there. And, uh, and I doubt he could ever deny we gave him his start <laughs> and uh, put him on top. He had his first match ever with Andre the Giant. He's going to draw the biggest crowd in wrestling history against the same guy many years later in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, so Hulk Hogan, I would have to say. Arn Anderson, to me, who showed up as a TV job boy for us and uh, stayed with us for years. And, uh, wow, he, he went on to become an international star. Yeah. Arn Anderson, uh, and he still gives credit to uh, Southeastern down there for setting him up and for <laughs> putting him on the path to success. And uh, he became a credit to the sport. There's no, no doubt, doubt about it. No doubt. There's not many more guys more talented nor uh, upstanding than Arn Anderson. Yeah. And uh, the last one, man, is for, easy for me. You know, the last one is without a doubt probably the biggest star ever in the territory in his 34-year existence. He was what every man aspired to be, man, became a living legend, and he was truly bad to the bone. (laughs) And there'll never be another Bob the Bullet Armstrong. Well, I didn't know if he was going to be first on the list or last on the list, but you say the best for last, and and truly, indeed, one of the personas that no one will ever forget in, in this market. I, I tell you what, I thought this was a great stud cast before we even got to the learning tree question. This answer to this question, Ron, is maybe your best ever. So I, I don't know where these stud casts can possibly uh, go from here or how they're going to get any better, but you always seem to do it. So that's that's awesome. All right, listen, folks, on Facebook, become friends with Ron by going to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him and follow him there, and you automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. The website, visit the stud on his tremendous website. It's tnstud.com, tnstud.com. You'll find great videos, a photo gallery, every studcast ever done, and 43 super studcasts are there also. Shop the stud store for all kinds of souvenirs personally autographed photos, the classic Continental Video 5-pack, his Tennessee stud mask, it's a replica, and his thrilling lion novel, Brutus. And if you ask, you can find out about getting these items autographed as well. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube is still full of great shows and information about the streaming channel. Find it all now. Find it now at Classic 
ContinentalWrestling.com. Ron's fantastic streaming channel. It's all there, and it always will be. Two superstars of the past series, Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, I'm talking about the former president. And Martin Farmer Burns. 28 Continental TV shows. 23 USA TV shows. 30 stud stories. Three stars of the sport with Andre the Giant, Mick Mankind Foley, and now legendary Ron Wright. Three documentaries with Wildcat Wendell Cooley, world premiere of Tony Anthony's Dirty White Boy, plus a tremendous two-hour special of the Mongolian Stompers matches. More than 100 hours of old-school entertainment now, and it's only the beginning. Subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year. It is fast becoming the best old-school streaming site anywhere on the planet. Don't miss this special offer right now for a limited time. Get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. All right, so where do we ride next week, Stud? Well, we're getting close to the summer of 1978, man. Uh, a young Kevin Sullivan is going to soon be arriving in southeastern Knoxville. We're going to be- begin uh, something that uh, Les and I have been talking about for years. We're getting involved in the community. We're going to be- begin our summer softball charity event series. And uh, those are to benefit all kinds of great causes and organizations. And we're going to cover the first outdoor Chilhowee Park card of the summer. We'll discuss the TV that promotes that card. We'll get to the results of that cards, and we'll talk about the attendance. Then we'll go south again, uh, where things are really beginning to fire up. We're going to have a special guest again next week, Dave. Uh, Charlie Platt is going to be joining us again next week, and uh, he's <laughs> going to be on be on with us to discuss a crazy David Schultz interview <laughs> that ends up being so far out there that it cost us our mobile TV station. Whoa. For a short period of time. Uh-oh. We get kicked off TV for a short period of time. <laughs> so and uh, so we're going to discuss cards for the entire week down there, southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, and uh, there'll be four regular cities running from now on in that, uh, in that territory down there. We're also going to cover the Dalton TV, the Dalton results, and the attendance in all six cities. So hopefully we'll have time, too, to finish another learning tree next week. You know, I just uh, I want to thank everybody out there for listening again, and uh, welcome to you first-time listeners. I hope you've enjoyed it. Tell your friends about us, and uh, take care of yourselves out there and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.